where I thought that the Nike Fuel Band and the Jawbone and the Fitbits of the world were lame was that the best athletes in the world didn't wear them. Welcome to a special episode of the Game Changing Attorney Podcast featuring some of the world's foremost experts on health and performance. You know, in the early days of the company, I remember investors would say to me, oh, you should just go, you know, pay these guys or you should go give them a bunch of equity. And I said that completely missed the point because if we built the technology that we were promising we could build, they would pay us to wear it. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. Today, we're looking back at our conversations with founder and CEO of Whoop, Will Ahmed, the co-founder and CEO of Eight Sleep, Matteo Francischetti, and the founder and chairman of Bulletproof, Dave Asprey. Screw optimization. I just want more. I want better. I want faster, stronger, longer lived, more energy. And I don't want to give anything up to do it. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, I want to remind you that we aren't beholden to any sponsors or run any ads on this podcast. This allows us to present all of our episodes raw and unfiltered. I'm not going to push any made-to-order meal services on you or try to save you any money on your car insurance. That being said, I have one small request. If you receive any value from this podcast, please give it a five-star review. Pay the fee so we can keep this podcast free. To kick things off, we revisit the conversation I had with Will Ahmed, the founder and CEO of Whoop. His company, which produces the Whoop Fitness Tracker, has a powerful mission behind it, which is to unlock human performance for everyone from elite athletes to corporate athletes and CEOs. The mission of Whoop is really around unlocking human performance. And I think broadly speaking, we believe every individual has an inner potential that you can tap into if you can better understand their body. I got into the space personally because I was always into sports and exercise. And growing up, I played a dozen different sports. I ended up going to Harvard and playing uh, squash there. And I was captain of the Harvard squash team. And my experience of being a college athlete showed me that athletes, myself included, really didn't know all that much about what they were doing to their bodies while they were training. You know, it was sort of just this perception that if you trained a lot, eventually you'd get fit. And for me, I used to overtrain as a result of that because I used to kind of push, 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 and then all of a sudden you, you fall off a cliff. And other athletes would get injured or misinterpret fitness peaks or not necessarily understand the importance of recovery or sleep. And so for me, it was really trying to understand everything I could about the human body. And I did a lot of physiology research while I was in school. I read something like 500 medical papers. And I wrote a thesis myself around how to continuously understand the human body. And I would say that ultimately became the business plan for starting Whoop. And that was 2011, 2012. So eight years ago, at least. And it's been it's been an amazing journey since then. I've gotten to work with incredibly, incredibly smart people. It takes a very talented team, as you know, to build anything. And yeah, today we're proud to serve a lot of high-performing individuals and teams. Now, I imagine there's 
easier ventures that one can go down because it was something like Whoop. You know, you've got the hardware aspect, the software aspect, the data and analytics, and you've got to be, it seems like you've got to be really good at all three and make them work really well together. I guess, what were some of the early challenges that you guys had experienced? Yeah. So I would say in 2012, 2013, a lot of what we were doing was hardcore technology development. We wanted to be able to measure something called heart rate variability, which previously no other product on the market could measure except for an electrocardiogram, which, you know, is like $10,000, $20,000 hospital equipment. And what was so interesting about heart rate variability is it was a statistic that was being used in like the 70s and 80s by Olympic powerlifters and then cyclists. And then the CIA was using this thing to understand lie detection. And I was like, wow, this is a really powerful statistic. This is a statistic that's a lens into your body And it's a lens into your body in a way that you may not be able to feel. And I thought, wow, if we could measure heart rate variability continuously, and mind you, heart rate variability is different from heart rate. We can go into that if you want to talk about it. But if we could measure this statistic, we would have this unbelievable lens into your body's status and to how rested or recovered your body was. And for me, that was was quite exciting. So a lot of the, I would argue even the first 12, months of the business, business really in quotes, because we weren't selling anything. Really, the first 12 months of technology development were to figure out if we could measure heart rate variability accurately from the wrist. And that, I would say, was our first breakthrough as a company. So that's a pretty bold decision in the sense that it seems like a lot of other fitness trackers are tracking things like heart rate and step count and so on. And when you talk about heart rate variability or HRV, if you could, I guess, go into a, some detail in terms of what this is. I mean, I guess it's the variance in, in time between beats of the heart, but like more specifically, the role that plays in recovery. Yeah, so heart rate variability, as you defined, is the time between successive beats of the heart. What's counterintuitive about it is the higher your heart rate variability, the better. So if your heart's beating at 60 beats per minute, it's not beating every second, right? If your heart's beating at 60 beats per minute, it's not beating every second. That's a very counterintuitive concept in itself. It turns out it's beating like 1.2 seconds and then 0.8 seconds and then 0.7 seconds and then 1.3 seconds. And that variability is actually a sign that your body is governing itself and adapting to its environment. And the reason for that is your body consists of a sympathetic and parasympathetic activity. So this is a lens into your autonomic nervous system. Sympathetic's activation. So that's like heart rate up, blood pressure up, respiration up. That's what's happening when you're exercising or you're stressed or you're thinking about something. Parasympathetic is all the opposite. Heart rate down, blood pressure down, respiration down. It's what helps you fall asleep. When you inhale, that's sympathetic. When you exhale, that's parasympathetic. And as it turns out that you want sympathetic and parasympathetic to be in constant balance. And when you become sympathetic dominant, that's a sign that your body is not recovered. And by measuring heart rate variability, we're able to have a deep lens into this whole phenomenon around your autonomic nervous system. And the main output of that to the end user is to be able to understand how recovered they are on a daily basis. So as you know, every day you get a recovery on WHOOP from zero to 100%, red, yellow, green, that's telling you how prepared your body is to perform. And if you go back to the origin story for Whoop, it was really feeling like I didn't know how much I should train on a given day. And so my assumption was I should just train a lot. 
And that's how you burn out. That's how you get run down. And we're seeing this now outside of sports and exercise, but all, all across society. How do you prevent burnout? How do you be more optimal as a human being in your daily life, right? And so that's where the origin for this idea of recovery came from, is to be able to give someone a statistic every day that told them, right, not just what had happened, but what they should do next, actionable, go forwards, right? And so if you have a high recovery, you should take on more strain. If you have a low recovery, you should take on less strain. Maybe you shouldn't even exercise or take on strain at all. You know, in many ways, Whoop is the first fitness product to tell you not to work out, to rest. And so that that is really the power of heart rate variability. And I think it's the power of a, of a score every day that tells you your recovery. Now, you know, for people that are listening to this podcast, which is largely law firm owners and entrepreneurs, I mean, I remember seeing when, when you know you've got Navy SEALs wearing whoops and you see elite athletes. For me, I was initially drawn to that because if they're wearing it, you know, as a, as almost like a corporate athlete, that's you know, I look for any sort of competitive edge. But what would you say would be some of the benefits to just candidly entrepreneurs who may not be elite athletes, or may not even want to be, but just still want to optimize their performance? Well, the exciting thing about being an entrepreneur is you're trying to take on a level of stress that will break most people. You know, you're, you're trying to overcome that in the pursuit of building something special. And I've felt that firsthand, you know, for the last eight, even 10 years, thinking about Whoop and building Whoop. And there are, there are points in building anything where it's like overtraining. You feel like you've hit a wall. You feel like you've got nothing left. And so that's the analogy for Whoop for the entrepreneur is there's two ways to think about adding more balance to your life, right? The first way, and this is the, the way that most people recommend, is, oh, well, you've just been putting too much stress on your body, so you need to take on less stress. And that's, that's fine. I mean, we do that with consumers every day, right? We show them you didn't sleep well, your body's run down do a little less today. But the other way that's actually less talked about, that's more important for entrepreneurs, is how can you actually take on the same level of stress, but be more recovered and be more rested so that you can keep taking it on? And so what I encourage entrepreneurs to think about is what are all the habits that they can embody that actually allow them to maintain a high output for a long time? You know, there's always this analogy of it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? That actually misses the point because the best marathoners in the world are running like a four-minute mile and most people can't even run a four-minute mile. You know what I mean? So you have to be all out really for a long, long time and at a pace that most people can't, can't handle. And so that's where Whoop can come into the picture and we can help an individual figure out in your life, what do you need to change or optimize to be more optimal? Like, let's talk about sleep for a second, right? You spend a third of your life sleeping. And in general, people think, well, I'm a busy person. I just can't get enough sleep. That's going to be me for the rest of my life. Well, that's a super suboptimal way to lock in the rest of your life because you may still have a set period of time even that you can sleep. And you're not making that as optimal a period of time as it could be. So let's say that you're that person who says, I can't spend more than six and a half hours in bed. That's all I've got. Okay, fine, fine. Let's say that that's all you've got. There's still a lot of ways within that six and a half hours to dial you in. 
right? So what you know, Michael, about measuring your body with WHOOP is that sleep is not just the number of hours you spend in bed. There's the stages of sleep. So within that six and a half hours, how much time are you actually spending asleep? Let's start there. So maybe that's now six hours. Maybe that's five and a half. Hell, for some people, that's three, unfortunately. And then within that time you're asleep, how much of that is REM and slow wave sleep? So REM sleep is when your your mind is repairing itself. It's cognitive repair. It's when you're dreaming, right? So if you're an executive, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a lawyer, or you're a high-performing individual, you need to repair cognitively, period. If you're trying to learn something, oh my gosh, you need to repair cognitively. Slow wave sleep is when your body produces 95% of its human growth hormone. So people think they get stronger in the gym. They're actually breaking their muscles down in the gym. You get stronger during sleep. That's when you're repairing your muscles. If you take that person who spends six and a half hours in bed and they can all of a sudden go from getting an hour of REM and slow wave sleep to getting four or five hours of REM and slow wave sleep, that person has just changed their life. I mean, completely changed their life. And I'm not exaggerating that one bit. It is a profound lifestyle shift and performance shift. I think people are incredibly, tend to be incredibly short-sighted about sleep because you can only really manage it if you, if you measure it. And we're not talking about massive, massive changes. I mean, we can go into some of the different lifestyle tips, but sometimes it's just little tweaks and all of a sudden you just feel so much better. While increasing strain and intensity can drive performance gains, we must balance our output with restorative recovery, particularly when it comes to how we sleep. Our next health hacker knows this well. Matteo Franceschetti is the co-founder and CEO of 8Sleep. When we spoke, he shared with me methods to optimize our recovery by leveraging the latest innovations in the science of sleep. Yeah, so for a couple of years before 8Sleep, I was looking at the space. And the reason is I have always been obsessed with productivity. And so I didn't understand why I had to sleep eight hours. And actually, sometimes I sleep eight hours and I still feel terrible when I wake up in the morning. And so it was really like, why there is technology in everything I do, but not in a third of my life? If I'm going to live 100 years, 33 years of my life are probably going to be spent on, on this piece of dumb fall. And so I started looking at clinical papers and see, okay, what technology could do to improve your sleep? And I found that there is a bunch of things that technology can do. The biggest is what is called thermoregulation. So your body temperature changes during the night. Technology can help your body to do that in a more efficient way. And this will help you fall asleep faster, get more deep sleep and less sleep interruptions. And so then we built it. What was your vision originally when you started Eight Sleep and how has that evolved over time? My vision, which is still the vision of the company is to control the whole environment. Temperature is just the first step temperature, light, noise, oxygen, air, and adjust each of them in real time based on your biometrics. Then on top of that, while we are tracking your biometrics, we substantially wanna become also a preventative health company where we can understand if there is anything going bad with your health. So at the end of the day, the way I always pitch the company is we wanna do two things. We wanna compress your sleep. So what if you could sleep only six hours and get more rest than when you were sleeping eight hours? And second, we want to save your life. What if your bed could scan your body in the future and going to bed was more valuable than going to your doctor for an MRI? And this is a dumb question, but I think it's worth asking anyway. Why do we sleep? 
So sleep is uh, first a foundational piece of our health, right? And we call it actually sleep fitness because we think of sleep in the same way you think of a workout, right? So you need to put the time, you need to put the effort and sleeping is like a workout. And so it's something that will translate in a positive outcome for your health. There are two major phases that are really important in sleep. One is deep sleep and one is REM using very common terminology. Deep sleep is when your physical body is recovering, right? So your tissues, if you train really hard, if you're just tired. The REM phase is instead when you're dreaming and is when your brain is cleaning up the information from the day, processing that information and storing that information. So you need all these to make sure that you live a healthy life, right? There is plenty of um, clinical studies and medical evidence that sleep has an impact on your daily biometrics, on uh, what you eat, because sometimes when you're sleep deprived, you you tend to crave more carbs or junk food, and in general has an impact on uh, Parkinson, diabetes, and many other diseases that you might develop over time. Yeah, and and a lot of professional athletes like LeBron James, I mean, they're spending a million dollars a year just in recovery alone and what is preparing them to be successful. And it's not just athletes, it's business leaders and and beyond. Why is great sleep so important? The, The way I always tell people, there are a couple of things I always tell them. First, you should think of sleep like a workout or eating healthy, right? At the end of the day, the 80, 20 of living a healthy life is Sleep eight hours a day, seven to nine, something in that range. Work out X times a week and try to have a healthy meals. One thing I always suggest to people to see if they are sleep deprived or they can get more out of, of their sleep is try to sleep one hour longer every day for a week. At the end of the week, you gain one night because you gain seven hours, right? And then you tell me how you feel. Sometimes people, they say, oh, I don't have time. Oh, I have to work really hard and I, I don't have not the space to do that. But the mental benefit that you get in terms of freshness and sharpness by being at the peak of your mental performance because of sleep will let you gain way more time than one hour you invested in the sleep. And I guess on the converse of that, I'm curious, can you make up for sleep debt? Or are there kind of limitations around that? There is a limitation you can make up only within two days. So if you're sleep deprived, if today you sleep only four hours and you accumulate a four hours sleep debt, you have only two days to gain that back. So for those that are listening to this podcast, like any specific tips that you've just kind of seen over time just to improve sleep quality, whether it's things like white noise, blackout curtains, like what, what actually works? Yeah. So a couple of different things of the outside temperature regulation. So temperature is the big elephant in the room, as there is plenty of evidence. But outside temperature regulation, one thing that works really well is to do a shower before going to bed where you keep switching between hot and cold. And so I call it uh, almost thermal disruption. And so you do 30 seconds really hot, 30 seconds really cold, and you do it five, six times. Uh, If you were lucky enough and you're in an hotel with a sauna and a cold plunge, that is even 10x better, right? But this thermal shock will really help you to relax and then you will fall asleep better. Then uh, the blackout curtains. So it's really important that uh, on top of temperature, you're also sleeping in an environment that is really dark. 
Another thing that I do at home, uh, I have Philips Hue, and so all the lights start dimming down uh, starting 8 p.m. They switch to orange and then they dim down. So you want to get into this environment that is darker and darker before going to bed. The opposite in the morning, what everyone, every doctor suggests is to be exposed to sunlight for at least 10 minutes every morning. Because again, you have this biological clock inside your body. And so light is what drives most of that. And so getting sunlight early in the morning will wake you up and will give you energy and being exposed to a dark environment at night will help you to start slowing down. And what about, I mean, just because a lot of our listeners, they're business leaders, they're CEOs. What are the long-term consequences of, of poor sleep? Because it, it's interesting. I've seen this play out um, when you speak to people in the military. It's like sleep deprivation is literally a form of like torture. I mean, this is literally how people are, are compromised. And yet you find so many business leaders that are chronically sleep deprived. I think there is evidence that you would die sooner from sleep deprivation than from food deprivation. Just to give you an idea. But in general, the impacts are pretty massive, right? So the first one is you are substantially mentally impaired if you wake up after two hours of sleep. So there's no way you can really focus on that. So at that point, what tends to happen is it's unlikely that you want to work out, right? Because you're barely surviving. And so you don't have that energy. If you work out, you have a high risk of injury, at least over time. So you are more prone to any sort of injury. Then the other big thing that happens is you will start craving certain types of food, junk food or carbs or similar foods that can give you almost a spike in terms of energy. And so you will be more prone to eat bad. Uh, it's extremely unlikely you will like that you will want a, a beautiful salad that morning because you're, there is a hormonal change that will let you crave different types of food. But in the long term, this will have an impact on your HR, HRV, risk for diabetes, and risk for many other type of illnesses uh, that could be developed over time. So as, as you were kind of going through this journey of, of, of the idea for this company to really starting to build it, I imagine there was a, a fairly steep learning curve. Like, did you find that you yourself had to become obsessed and, and, and just learn so much about sleep? Or did you, were you able to just to bring in other people into the organization that had those you know, capabilities or had those insights? Both, meaning on one side, I, I'm lucky that I'm really passionate about the topic. I'm really passionate about you know, health and wellness and fitness and recovery. And so I'm the first customer of anything we do, and I'm the first one to give feedback. So I have fun, uh, and I'm, I really embody our customers, hopefully. Uh, on the other side, obviously, we, we have an advisory board with professors from Harvard, Stanford, UPenn, uh, Mount Sinai. And we also have an R&D team that has PhDs from MIT, comes from Stanford, and some of the best universities. Anyone that I know that has an eight sleep pod, myself included, is obsessed with it. They rave about it. I mean, I, I was mentioning to you that we had Matt Frazier on the podcast and he's telling me this is like the best thing in the world to the point where I think we even start to see people want to start traveling with them. Are, are there any plans to kind of find ways to, to either make them more portable or, or work with athletes who are, or even entrepreneurs that are on the road a lot? Yeah, that is the biggest request because once it becomes so natural that once you get used to it, you literally don't want to travel or the biggest aha moment is the first time you travel and you go back to a dumb bed and you understand you start feeling hot and cold and temperature keeps changing during the night. 
And so we are now working with a couple of different hotels chains. We are already in uh, almost 100 rooms in the country. And the idea is to keep expanding to a point where wherever you fly or you go to, you can find a, a pod and then you can just automatically apply your settings. And even in the approach to it, I'm curious because there, there's a lot of challenges to solve, both on the hardware side and software and beyond. There's obviously, I mean, there's old school water beds and then there's devices that is basically a fan hooked up to a bed. And we talked about kind of like those gels. Why, why hadn't anybody really approached it the way you're approaching it? I think there are two reasons. The first one um, is an extremely complicated problem to solve because there is the hardware challenge, right? And hardware is really, really hard and requires also a lot of money to start. Second, there is an ML and AI challenge because again, just a flat temperature wouldn't deliver the results that we want, but this temperature needs to adjust in real time based on the night and the different sleep stages. And so the technological part is pretty complicated. Then I think second is sleep in general has always been one of those industries that was massive, very fragmented with few players just eating out of the customers because they were selling products that were very simple, just basic commodity, a phone, and they were charging two, three X the price with very fat margins. And they live like that and there was no interest for them to iterate because they were building very large businesses in a simple way. And so sleep was just waiting to be disrupted. To round out this episode's lineup of health hackers, we revisit my conversation with Dave Asprey, founder and chairman of Bulletproof, innovator of Bulletproof Coffee, New York Times bestselling author, and regarded by many as the father of biohacking. I realized, look, if we can troubleshoot the internet, which is cool because most of the internet is controlled by people who aren't you, yet somehow you can hack it, and I am a computer hacker by training, well, maybe I can turn that, how do I manage a complex system, how do I turn that knowledge around on myself? And I started measuring what worked. And I realized a lot of the stuff that I've been told was just BS. And it was dogma, it was a belief system, but it was not based on science. It was not based on our understanding now of how biology works. And it took a lot of studying. I eventually spent more than a million dollars on hacking my own biology. And I've lost the weight. I've gotten younger. My brain has the response time of a 20-year-old. I have the visceral fat levels of a 20-year-old, and I'm 48. So something here is working, because if I could start out with all the diseases of aging before I was 30, we're talking uh, prediabetes, high risk of stroke and heart attack, arthritis and cognitive dysfunction, oh, and chronic fatigue syndrome. And I ditched all that. And I said, all right, I feel like I've achieved a sense of mastery over this subject matter, even though I have an MBA from Wharton and my degrees in artificial intelligence and computer information systems. So I'm going to start sharing this because what I know is an algorithm for human performance. And you shouldn't be hungry all the time. You should have more energy than you need all of the time. So that state of being bulletproof is just saying, look, I know I've got what it takes to handle whatever life brings my way. It means I can maintain focus all day long. I can absorb information better than other people and certainly better than I used to be able to. And I can remember it. I can recall it. I can structure it. And to an entrepreneur or someone who works in a cognitively demanding business environment, that is actually a sense of, of peace because there's an effortlessness that can happen when you have enough biological energy. 
So I love this in the sense that you have this approach of almost like the ROI on things. Like, so like you mentioned, I mean, your, your job is to be a high performance human being. Uh, not only does that help you enjoy everything in life, but it's to really think about, it. I think there's a point in the book where you mentioned that with every craving, ask yourself if you're getting an ROI on it. Yeah. Cravings just cost. There's no return on those. And what you find really quickly is if you start monitoring your mental state, like how much work was it now to you know, read this 80 page brief or how much work is it now to get up and do you know, what I'm going to do in my meetings today? It, is it lower than normal or is it higher than normal? If it's higher than normal, it's your fault. You did something. You slept like garbage last night. You had a glass of wine before dinner, which unfortunately isn't healthy. Sorry, I wish it was. It will lower your sleep quality. But what you will find is that if you said, oh, this morning I'm going to make myself breakfast and you have a healthy breakfast of oatmeal and croissants and carbohydrates and honey and you know God knows what, and you put who knows what else in your moldy coffee that you bought at the corner on your way into the office, you spent a lot of money and time on that and the ROI was terrible. I will propose to you straightforward that if you had no breakfast or you had Bulletproof Coffee for breakfast, you will actually have more mental clarity and you'll save time and you'll save a negligible amount of money. It's not really about money at that point. It's just about, did I have more energy, more focus? Yes, you did. And a side effect is you'll live longer, but hey, (laughs) there's that. I know we talked about the the energy benefits of fasting, right? But what are some of the other health benefits? Because I know there's several other aspects of this, such as like burning fat and so on. Well, there's something called autophagy. And What this is, is it means self-eating, if you go back to the Latin. And when your body is busy digesting breakfast, especially protein or carbs, what it does is is it takes the enzymes that it would have used to repair your cells, to burn up old junky cells that either aren't doing anything or cells that are very weak cells and replace them with young cells. It takes the energy and it says, oh, I'll just use that energy to digest the eggs I had for breakfast. So having these periods of time when the body's repair systems, instead of digesting, are focused on repair and restoration, it makes a really big difference. And over time, what you start seeing is your body's ability to convert 30 pounds of air that you breathe every day and however much food you eat every day. All you really do is you combine those two to make electrons. The same electrons that power your iPhone are actually powering your body. And if you do a good job metabolically of converting those, you have a ton of energy. And 48% of people under age 40 and everyone over age 40 who's not on an anti-aging program has mitochondrial dysfunction. They just suck at turning food and air into energy. And that means when you're in a high demand state, like say you're in front of a judge and there's $10 million on the line, (laughs) well, you turned the volume all the way up, but it really only went up to six because your body forgot there was seven, eight, nine, and 10 available. And when you use intermittent fasting, which is effortless to do when you do it the way I'm talking about, we're not talking about being hypoglybitchy or hangry or weak or distracted in the morning. We're talking about being better than you are now in the morning. You do that, all of a sudden like, oh wait, there is a seven, eight, and a nine, and a 10 on my energy knob. So when you stand up, man, I'm gonna bring it, and I just got that fact, oh, and I forgot I'm gonna mention that. And you pull all this stuff together, and you're actually way stronger than you were before. And it's hard to express how relaxing it is to just have what's in your head available to you without having to stop and stress. And there's a a lot of, of things that happen that I think are worth going through that are right in the book, Fast This Way. And it's useful, especially for attorneys, because 
this is how we're wired before we think. And this is something that knowing this about yourself is useful and knowing it about the people that you're working for or against <laughs> is also useful. And it's that all life forms follow this basic algorithm. And the first thing, if you were to design something to stay around forever, number one, if there is a threat, you, with 10 times more effort and focus, you must respond with fear, which is you run away from, kill, or hide, right? And we've all seen people who freeze on the stand or people who get really aggressive on the stand. In fact, you know, if you're a trial lawyer, you're trained to make people aggressive so they'll say stupid things, right? You poke at them until they get pissed, right? By the way, you can tell I've been deposed. <laughs> so, you know, all of that stuff happens. And then you also have the, you know, I, I want to run away anxiety. But all of those things, we're wired in our cells to do that. I know there's, there was a time you stated that you want to live to be 180 years old. And I'm, I'm sure people hearing this, that maybe there's going to be an eyebrow raise or two. But how did you come to that number? And this is always very fascinating to me because we do have the ability to live longer. And we're seeing a lot of just great science coming out and so on that's extending lifespans and so on. But how did you, how did you come to 180? Well, I want to be really clear. It's at least 180 because I think that's a conservative number. And now people are saying, Dave, that's such BS. But l l let me walk you through the logic. There are five people today who are 120 years old, well-documented with, that's not a lot of people. Okay, 120 years ago, it was 1900. There's no airplanes, there's no cars. We were gonna fight World War I, still on horseback for a lot of it, okay? That's what the world looked like back then. We didn't understand bacteria. We didn't have antibiotics. We couldn't spell DNA because we hadn't invented it. It was a different world and they're still around. Look at what's happened in that one lifetime. Now, if the best we can do today is 120, if we can't do 50% better than our best in the next 100 freaking years, it's because a comet hit the planet. Now, as a part of becoming a expert level biohacker, for more than a decade, I ran an anti-aging nonprofit group where we'd bring experts in and interview them in front of a, a group of about 100 people in Palo Alto, California. And we would talk about this. And I met people when I was in my 20s who were in their 80s who had more energy than I did. And they were full of life and full of energy. I'm like, I want that because I didn't have it when I was young. And I got that. And so I've seen it happen. And I've become friends with the top researchers. I've interviewed 850 of them on Bulletproof Radio. 850 people, not all of them are anti-aging doctors, but people doing the clinical research. And for the first time ever, you can have someone with tenure at a major academic institution stand up and say, we can reverse biological aging in cells. If you'd have said that 10 years ago, they'd have taken your tenure and laughed you out of there. They would have blackballed you. And it's because they've been working on it for 20 and 30 years. And we are right now at the point where we understand more about our biology than any time in human history. And it is becoming possible. And right now, yes, I wrote a whole book about that. And I've done all the treatments that the billionaires do. And I wrote about what it's like. But it's going to become like cell phones were. If you're an older attorney listening to this, you remember the early 90s. And that was when the first mobile phones became available. Maybe it was the late 80s. And you'd see you know, people in their Mercedes convertible 300D. And the whole trunk is a cell phone. And it costs 50 grand for the phone. And it's $25 a minute. And they're driving down the road. And everyone's like, look at that jerk. Who does he think he is, right? Well, you can buy a smartphone in Africa for a dollar a month today in our lifetime. That's how fast things change. We're in an era of exponential change. 
So of course we're going to live to at least 180 if a piano doesn't hit you and if you can afford it, but the costs will drop dramatically. If you want to do that, you have to make it to the point when all of these advances come out and are available. You must start intermittent fasting. It is easier than having breakfast, but the anti-aging benefits of it are so strong and the cognitive benefits of it are so strong and just feeling good all the time benefits are so strong. You do it now. It's going to add years to your life. And if you did no other interventions, it just means that the last 10 or 20 years of your life, you won't be wearing diapers. You won't have hoses where you don't want them and you'll remember your own name. That's how important intermittent fasting is. That's why I wrote a book about it. I only write about books that are worth people's time to read. And this is based on 10 years of doing it and 10 years of helping people lose a million pounds on the Bulletproof diet, which has always included intermittent fasting. And this idea that, oh, you have to do it and you have to live your life and be a successful, busy executive at the same time, that's missing from a lot of the health stuff. Like, oh, we tested mice. We tested patients who weren't doing anything. Well, no, the people listen to this podcast, they have stuff to do. So how do you do the fasting thing? How do you do the other things that make you younger and stronger and faster and smarter and still do what you're here to do? That's the challenge. And that's why it's different than you know human performance optimization. Screw optimization. I just want more. I want better. I want faster, stronger, longer lived, more energy. And I don't want to give anything up to do it. And if it, to optimize, I have to say, oh, I just gave up, you know, dinner with friends every night because I had to go to the gym for two hours or whatever kind of stuff. That's an optimization. No, I don't want to do that. I simply want better. I want to give a huge thank you to every single guest who's joined me so far on the Game Changing Attorney podcast. And I want to thank you, yes, you, for listening to this podcast and your commitment to learning and growing as a leader. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that I can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of my book absolutely free at gamechangingattorney.com. Number two, you can shoot me a text at 404-531-7691 and I'll answer any question that you've got for me. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it'll help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on this episode, see the show notes in your podcast app or visit gamechangingattorney.com.